Oh my goodness, I am so excited for today's episode. I have not one, but two guests with me today, and they are both undergraduate SLP majors looking to go on into graduate school. I found them, they found me on a Facebook site and they started asking questions and I said, hey, why don't you guys come on and we'll ask these questions on the podcast and we'll record it and we'll put it out there for the rest of the world. And um, we agree, they all agreed, we've all agreed. So this will be great. You're going to be hearing from Miss Jordan and Miss Abby. Welcome to the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I'm glad you're here. Remember what it was like back in graduate school, or maybe you still are in grad school. Today's episode is part of the CSD Graduate Students Journey Series. In this series, I talk to students who are either in school or fresh into their clinical fellowship year. We talk and cover real subjects like how to get into graduate school, how to find and prepare for a medical internship, thoughts on teletherapy from a student's perspective, and lots more. Get ready for some real conversations with SLP students who are at the very beginning of their careers. We are back. Here we are with Jordan and Abby. Hi, guys. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. This is going to be fun today. Um, before we start, there is going to be for our listeners a little bit of a learning curve because there's three of us on this Zoom call, and we're going to be trying not to bump into each other as we talk. So welcome. And I'm glad you're here. You guys are undergraduates. Tell me about uh, where you are and what you're studying and where you want to go. Um, I can go first. So my name is Jordan. Um, I, I go to TCU. Well, me and Abby both, we go to TCU. Um, and I'm studying speech pathology, speech language pathology. Um, and I have been, I love this field and I kind of got into it because I've always wanted to help people who have disabilities or, um, are unable to function as people who could, it just comes naturally for. And then communication is such an essential thing to life and so I kind of got into speech pathology because I want to help those who can't be able to have access to that normal communication um and I hope to go to grad school still at TCU um and I want to definitely work when I become an SLP work as a pediatric SLP um and maybe in the medical field wonderful where is TCU and what does TCU stand for TCU's uh, Texas Christian University, and it's in Fort Worth, Texas. And it's snowing there right now for you guys. Yes, it's snowing. <laughs> Jordan, you said you're up at 3 a.m. playing out in the snow. So. Oh, yes. Me and my friends <laughs> got up, and we were, like, we were so happy, like big kids, making snow angels and everything. <laughs> Wonderful. Abby, tell us about your, your journey, your path. Yes, so I'm Abby, and I'm from Fort Worth, Texas, and I go to school at TCU, like Jordan said, and I'm a junior in my undergrad in my spring semester there, and I became an SLP because I had this amazing experience with this little girl. I worked at a summer camp um, out here in Texas, and so I was working with this little girl, and she had Down syndrome, and so she was recently adopted 
um, from out of the country. And so she had almost no language and I got to spend the entire week just loving on her and getting to see so many milestones of her and just being able to almost not teach her language, but to see like different sounds coming out and just like working with her and on sign language. And that was just an incredible opportunity, um, just to see what it was like to love someone so much and just be able to help them in something that seemed almost so important, just like a necessary skill that you would think everyone would have to be able to communicate. And she didn't really have that. And so just for me to come alongside her and just to be able to be a part of her story was absolutely incredible and life-changing. And I realized that I wanted to do that for everyone else. And her mom was actually a speech pathologist. And so I decided that I wanted to study that too, and just to be able to help her um, and other people like her. And I would love to work with kids in the future, maybe adults. I'm kind of learning more about that field and that world too. Um, And I also really love working with kids with autism. So that's an area of study that I'm really interested in and I have a lot of experience in. And I would love to go to University of Texas at Dallas for grad school. And and that sounds exciting. That's one of the things that I love about our field is the many, many things we can do and where we can go and who we can work with. It's really neat. I often hear from graduate students um, that they don't know where they want to go or what they want to do yet. And my words of advice there are don't limit yourself early on. Just really open your eyes and be open to whatever your instructors are teaching you and look for those opportunities to learn where a speech pathologist can can shine. Well, thanks for sharing those stories. They're, they're always fun to hear. <laughs> so you guys have some questions and we're going to talk about those questions today. Yes, we have we have some general questions and then questions about um, what it's like to work in private practice and what it's like to work in the medical scene. Um, I guess we can start with our general questions. Abby, if you wanted to start. Sure. Um, we just kind of wanted to know what exactly that they're teaching you in grad school. Like specifically, did they teach you about different job opportunities out there? And then do you need to kind of like choose your grad school based on like what profession that you want to do and like what they're going to teach you, if that makes sense? Yes, that's a very good question. When you move into a graduate program, you're moving into an accredited program by um, the American Speech Language Hearing Association. So all your graduate program, if it's an accredited program, will be following ASHA guidelines and standards on um, what they need to teach you as you move out into the field to become, um, to get your C's. So you will be learning all about ASHA's big nine. Do you guys know about ASHA's big nine? No. So ASHA's big nine. Oh, (laughs) 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 quiz moment, spontaneous quiz for me. ASHA's, there are the nine areas that a speech pathologist and an audiologist can treat. So if you go on to Ash's website, there's Ash's Big Nine, and I can, I've got a really neat um, uh, downloadable that I can put with the show notes here. It's a really neat visual of the nine areas that a speech language pathologist and, or an audiologist will treat. It includes language, voice, speech, um, pragmatics, uh, social language, um, fluency, dysphagia, it, 
and here it covers all of those different areas. So when you move into a graduate program, you're going to find that your coursework is very, very focused on Ash's Big Nine. You're going to be learning about how to um, understand, how to assess, and how to treat um, any one of those areas. So by the time you graduate from graduate school, you're going to know a lot about a lot. As you move forward into your career, careers, um, you're not going to have to know everything about Ash's Big Nine. For example, working in a medical setting, I, I don't work with fluency, so I don't use the fluency that I don't have to keep those skills up and current because it's not something I treat. I Good graduate programs will teach you about job opportunities. You want to find a um, program with graduate professors who have interests in your area of study. So Abby, I know you mentioned autism. When you interview for your graduate schools, one of the questions you may wanna ask the graduate panel that is interviewing you is, Tell us about your interests and your areas of research or passions in our field, because you want a professor who's really going to be alive for what you are alive for. And I do a lot of voice work, and I have a lot of students in my graduate program come and say, tell us about the voice. So you want to find a program that has teachers who are passionate about the areas that you're in as well. Okay. Awesome. Um, I have a question kind of going off of that. Um, so if I am interested and in, because I know Abby, you said your main area of what you want to focus on is autism. I'm not too far off. I want to focus on neurodevelopmental disorders in general. Um, so do you think that when looking for a grad program, you should look, I should look for something that encompasses there is like a research lab that encompasses all types of these neurodevelopmental disorders, or do you think it's better to look for something that's more specific, like autism or Down syndrome? You're going to want a good program that is going to give you a wide base in everything. Okay. And then as you go through your, because you're going to be responsible Every program, accredited program is going to be following ASHA standards for an accredited program. Um, they, they, we all have to meet those standards. Um, so on that basis, every graduate program is going to have those bits and pieces. The additional parts that you're talking about are going to, to be cultivated by a professor or somebody who is, that's their interest. For example, I interviewed Dr. Katie Strong. She's from Central Michigan University. Yeah, and she's very big into aphasia and she has, you know, my story lab or the, my strong, I think it's the strong story, my strong story lab. Um, she was in a previous episode. And so the students who are really interested in the aphasia may search her graduate program out because they know that she's going to have this program for them or like the labs that you're looking at. So you're going to get a base foundation of everything. And then as you work your way through your graduate school, those extra opportunities that you have available to you are going to be what really advances your specific area of, of skill. So okay. then when you go on and do your, um, you start building your resume, you should be starting to build your resume um, 
now with these volunteer opportunities, Abby, like you said at the camp. And, and these are things that are in addition to your graduate program are really going to set you up for when you roll out of your graduate program into your career. You'll have so much more experience. Um, I can ask the next question. So what advice would you give your undergrad self knowing what you know now as an SLP? I would say be open to anything and everything that comes along and don't think you might not like something, but be open to learning and exploring those options. And off of that first question that you asked, I don't think, I don't think that grad programs talk tons and tons and tons about job opportunities and things like that. I think that is, you're going to find that out in the Facebook community, out in like we sit uh, on the Future Professionals Committee Advisor for Mensha, and we do a lot of work there. NISLA does a lot of work introducing students to opportunities and, and hosting webinars and things like that. A lot of the guests that I pull on here are people who are experts in their field and they're talking at the graduate student level, telling them where their careers can go and what they can do. So I think those you're going to want to search out in addition to grad school. Okay. I can ask the next question. Um, I just kind of wanted to know, is it easy to change the area that you work in? So for example, going from a school SLP to a medical SLP, how difficult is it if you change your mind that you don't want to do something? That's a good question. It is not that easy to change. Okay. Normally, once you get started on a career path, whether it's the academic or the medical setting, most clinicians tend to stay on that path. Because the medical setting, you have to cultivate a different set of skills that aren't reinforced in the school setting. And likewise, um, the school setting, you cultivate different skills that you don't have in the medical setting. I know I, Julie Horner was an interview I did earlier, and she had been in the schools for 12, 14 years and decided she wanted to go into the medical setting. And she took maybe a year and a half, two years of medical courses before she was feeling confident she could step into the medical setting. Okay, that is good to know. Mm -hmm. I do know also some school speech pathologists who will work PRN at, at a hospital like over weekends as needed once a month. But working PRN in a medical setting or any setting is tough because you just don't get the exposure to keep your skills as strong as they need to be. In the medical setting, you're working with complicated medical patients, and it's not something you can just step in and do over the weekend once in a while. Um, I have the next question. So I was wondering what types of internships or opportunities that um, you felt that you would recommend um, in the summer going about the summer between um, junior and senior year of undergrad when you're about to apply for grad schools. I know that Abby has a intern. I think she has an internship as a behavioral technician. I am a literacy teacher for a um, program called Reading Ranch. I was wondering if there was something more that we should do or any other areas that you think would be good to have on our resumes. 
I think you're spot on with what you're doing. I've heard of other um, students taking some time and working at uh, camps over the summer. But really anything that will give you more experience in the field that you're wanting to work in. So both of you are thinking PEDS and you're both working with PEDS. And that's neat. That's exactly what you want to be doing is gathering that experience, working with the population you want to work with, and also networking and doing some interprofessional you know, teamwork with other, other students in other professions. Sounds like you might have those opportunities at your settings. That's good. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I just kind of wanted to know, within the SLP world, is it easy to advance or to get promotions? Or is that something that you kind of need to get your PhD for? Good question. Most of the time, there's two different, we all graduate with our master's degrees. Many people stay with their master's degrees and work in the school or the medical setting. If you want to advance, you can um, take some additional coursework and really begin to niche down into your specialty. Like my, one of my specialties is swallowing. So I've taken a lot of, you know, very skilled swallowing courses and some voice courses. Um, if you're in a rural setting, those you, you will take those courses, but you may be the only speech pathologist in that rural setting. Um, if you work in a big medical setting, like a university setting, you will complete competencies to advance your skill set. And then you can take on some of the harder, more complicated patients. Um, does that answer your question? Yes. Thank you. You have to self-advocate for yourself. I had a student with me one time and we were up talking with some doctors and we told them what we were doing and why we were doing it. Cause we were, you know, changing our diet levels um, from NDD to IDDSI and on our way back to um, our uh, charting area, I just popped my head in my director's office and said, hey, I just talked to these doctors and this went really well. You need to keep your um, skills, accomplishments, things that you do well, um, you have to keep them in front of your, your supervisor and let people know what you're doing. You're not bragging. You're just making sure that people know what you're doing and, and why you're doing it. And when it comes around to advancing, that's how you advance. One of the ways. Okay. That's good advice. Thank you. Um, I was wondering, what is the most rewarding thing you think you feel is um, about being an SLP? Medical yeah. or one with working with pediatrics? I can tell you both. Yeah, both would be awesome. My most rewarding medical SLP moments are in the swallowing world when somebody is having some problems swallowing. And even when they come and they sit in my, for example, I'm thinking of, a, of, of somebody that I saw a while ago. They had come with their wife. He had come with his wife and he had a progressive um, disease and his swallowing was just getting worse and he didn't want to let go of his of his oral intake and he was getting to the point though where there was it was so hard for him to eat safely because he coughed and he choked and lots of troubles with water so when we did the swallow study 
we did the trials and then I turned the, the camera around and showed him the, the videos that we had captured. And I said, when you swallow, this is where your food goes and this is where it doesn't go. And these are my recommendations for moving forward with you. And I did, I seldom do it, but with that gentleman, um, when he swallowed, nothing went, nothing went down, multiple swallows, multiple swallows. And his risk of aspiration was so high. Um, he was currently a tube feeder and he was wanting to eat again. And I said, um, this, there are, this is why I would not recommend that you eat again. And he started to cry happy tears because I was able to tell, give him the answers that he wanted to live the, the struggle, the less struggle-free life that he had. And so I love it when I can answer questions for people and help them with their decisions that they have to make. With the little kiddos, oh my goodness, I love <laughs> I feel like I've got these little children in, in my hands and when I'm just charging, I'm just like fly little bird because we've done so much good work and these kiddos have just blossomed and they they meet their goals and then they discharge. And I wish we could kind of, you know, hey, who are you 20 years down the road? Do you remember your speech teacher? Um, it's just very, it's a very rewarding field to be able to help each individual person that I have the privilege to work with. Thank you. Um, I think my last question for kind of just the general questions of this world is, could you tell us something about what your postgraduate, like immediately after you graduate from your master's degree, like your clinical fellowship year, what does that exactly entail and what does it look like right after you graduate? Your clinical fellowship year, if you're working, uh, I think it's 32 to 40 hours a week will be nine months long in whatever setting you're choosing to go into. And you will have a clinical fellow supervisor, hopefully on premises where you are, but that doesn't always happen. You will step in and start resuming a caseload like a credentialed speech pathologist would. Um, you'll work out your work hours in your setting and your supervisor will the first um What's well, nine months long, typically. You're going to meet with your supervisor before you start, and you're going to go over what your goals are. ASHA has standards and things you have to meet every three months according to, you know, hours. And, and there's a way you work through your clinical fellowship with your supervisor. And you start stepping into your careers, picking up the caseloads that, that you will see in that setting. I have a follow-up question to that. So if um, you're you're working in a particular location for your fellowship year, do you, is it typical for if you're in an area, if you if you're working somewhere that you just it's it's a really a good fit for you? And do they typically hire you right off the bat after your fellowship year? Yes, yes, you okay. Um, normally you start your clinical fellow and then it just continues on. And when you are done with your nine months, um, it just extends. It just means that you're supervised during that time. One of the things that I've heard some um, clinical fellows say that after their nine months, they get a raise because they're no longer uh, a clinical fellow. They've got their, their fully credentialed speech pathologists. And I've heard other ones say that after a year's mark, um, 
they get a they get a raise. But there should not be a hiccup at all after your clinical fellow is done. You you and your supervisor will meet, and um, I always meet mine over a cup of coffee and a sandwich. That was pre-COVID. Um, I don't have a clinical fellow now because I'm at a university. But um, and then we sign the papers off, and then the clinical fellows become credentials, and off they go into their careers. You should have a very good working relationship with your supervisor. You should be able to reach out to him or her uh, frequently, often, and you should be able to get a hold of them. They should be very accessible to you. For example, um, I've had clinical fellows where they've been in a nursing home and I've been hired as a consultant by the nursing home um, contract company, and um, they can call me hey, what do I do about this? I'm having a problem with the patient here or this or that. So when you guys are getting ready to do your clinical fellows, you're interviewing for that job, that's a good question to ask is how accessible is the supervisor, my supervisor. Well, I guess we can go into our questions about being a medical SLP or working in the medical setting. Um, the first one that I had was what type of cases would you see in a, a, like a hospital, but a pediatric hospital, since we're both we're wanting to work in peds? Sure. If it's an inpatient pediatric, you're going to see pediatric clients, patients that have typical pediatric um, disorders. You're going to be seeing them that have them, they're medically complicated though. So your feeding and swallowing um, incident or caseload is going to be much, 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 much higher. In an outpatient pediatric setting, your kiddos are going to be coming mostly for speech and language work. Okay. So the inpatient okay. will be much more medically complex. You're going to be working with ventilators um, and medically complicated little kiddos. Outpatient setting, um, not as medically complicated. You will see speech language and some swallowing and feeding in the outpatient setting. ASD, pragmatics, the typical pediatric caseload that is covered in school is also covered in a pediatric outpatient setting. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, my question for you, I guess you kind of touched on it a little bit with Jordan. I was just wondering if you could go into a little bit more detail of what other, what are like all of the opportunities in the medical SLP world as in kind of like what are the jobs and what do the jobs kind of entail? What will you be doing as a medical SLP? Well, to anybody listening to this that is out in the field as a and a medical SLP and wants to jump on for a podcast interview, I'd say reach out to me because my experience is just my experience and there's medical SLPs out there who are really, really, really niched into the medical setting. For example, Dan Sherwood um, was uh, episode 43, I believe, and he is a vocologist which is a voice specialist, and he works in a voice clinic. And a voice um, vocologist would be considered, I guess, maybe a medical SLP, um, a voice, his voice. And so he works, um, we, you can have patients or speech pathologists who are specialized in, um, you can work in inpatient settings, outpatient settings, home health settings, 
which is where you go out to the patient's home. You can work in private practice settings. You can work um, in rural um, hospitals, rural clinics. You can work in downtown big city clinics. You can work through medical centers, big universities that have research um, um, teams, be part of a research team. I know you asked earlier um, about PhDs. Do you have to have your PhD? A lot of medical speech pathologists go on and get their doctorate of speech pathology, which is different from a PhD. PhD um, speech pathologists tend to go into the academic and research setting, and they do teaching and research. Um, speech pathologists who get their doctorates become more and more entrenched in the, um, in the clinical providing setting, and they just become much more focused in their work. There's um, swallowing specialists who, in addition to being a medical speech pathologist, become very specialized in like fees and only do fees or only do mobile video fluoroscopies or mobile fees. It's just you, your profession can go anywhere you want it to go anywhere around the world. There's people who practice, and I myself have practiced around the world. Not a lot, but it's a great field. Yeah. Wide open. What are the pros and cons of working in a hospital as an SLP? The biggest con is you work. You, if, it's, if it's a holiday, you might get it off. You might not get it off. Um, you work... Um, five days a week if you're full-time or four days a week and it's it's every year you do get vacation and some main holidays off the school setting speech pathologists get the summers off that was always a big 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 you know I always wished I had the summers off but I so love my medical SLP job it's just I got up and went to work it was it's great it's a great job um, the Pros, I think that's like the only con is you have to work weekends sometimes. If you're in a skilled nursing facility, you don't get holidays off. You work through, for example, if Christmas is on a Friday and you're scheduled to work on a Christmas on a Friday, you may be able to shift that Friday to a Saturday, but you have to cover those five days a week. So I guess the biggest con is the schedule. It's a very demanding schedule. And you go. If it's 52 below, like it was two years ago, I made arrangements to have my car plugged in. And I went and stayed overnight at the hospital so I could make sure I was there for my shift the next day. You, you just go unless you're sick. Um, the, the biggest pro is I love the challenging work. I love every day is a puzzle for me. I walk in. I The patient's. It's a challenge for me to analyze and, and come up with a treatment plan and work with those patients and they respond. So that's been the biggest, biggest reward for me are those connections I make and the influence that I have in their medical journey. That's awesome. Um, my next question for you is in the medical SLP world, is this something that you could do part-time easily? A lot of our professors talk about how at one point they like started a family and they didn't want to work full time. So they worked maybe one day a week so they could keep up their credentials. Um, so that one day, like when their kids are growing up, they can go back to it full time. Is that something you can easily do in this world of speech path as well? 
You can if you're not in the super, super high technical demanding medical centers, I believe. Just because when you're seeing such critically ill patients, you really need that skill level that's developed, in my opinion, I hope I don't get people listening to this who are mad at me, but in my opinion, it just isn't something that you can do once in a while. So if you want to stay in the medical field, um, there are less demanding jobs in as a medical speech pathologist, and by all means, um, continue with those and it is good to keep your foot in the door and keep that skill level up where you can. So what would some of the less demanding jobs be that you just mentioned? Uh, maybe a skilled nursing facility or home health because there the patients aren't as medically complex and they're not, you know, you're not working with ventilators and things like that. But so it would be one of those less, it's, there's, it's still just as important. So I'm not saying that a home health speech pathologist, this skill level isn't as, as important. Just the setting is different. Mm-hmm. The demands are different. Right. Right. Thank you. Um, so I have a kind of a two-part question. Um, first, do you need special training to be a medical SLP? And if so, um, or just in general, do you choose your grad program that you want to go to? Um, are you looking for something that will say that this, there's more of a medical area? Uh, like I know how we were talking about specialties, not specialties, but how we were talking about um, if we were interested in autism, looking for um, mm-hmm. professors that are working, that work with people with autism. Um, so are we supposed to look for something that's more medically based for the program? Yes, where your professors are definitely more into the neuroanatomy, like you were talking about with your neuroscience labs. So if you are wanting to go that route, then look for those programs that have those opportunities for you. There's different levels. I I feel like from that previous question, there's different levels of any, in any field, you can have a general medical SLP who works with, you know, some of your general medical SLP patients. And then, and it's the same in the school. You can have a general school speech pathologist and she works with general disorders. And in both the school and the medical setting, you can take your career as far as you want it to go. If you want to be really specialized in ASD and AAC systems or social systems, social pragmatics, then you take those courses, you seek those opportunities, and you advance your career in that direction. And the same with the medical SLP. If you want to be a general medical speech pathologist, that's fine. That's great. Excellent. And because there's a very big need for medical, general medical speech pathologists, and there are are also needs for speech pathologists who have really niched down into the pediatric specialty world, like pediatric swallowing and ventilators. And those are the jobs that would be harder to do on a once in a while basis. Does that make sense? Yes, thank you. Mm-hmm. Jordan, do you have any other questions for the medical SLP world? Because I think she answered all of mine for this section. 
Um, yeah, I have one more. So when you're in um, a medical setting, do you choose your own workload or does the hospital kind of like assign you your, um, your cases? It depends on how big the setting is. If you're in, if, if you're in a, like when I've worked at university hospitals, I arrive and I'm credentialed for certain types of, of patients. And there may be, I may be working with a team of maybe seven or eight other speech pathologists that day. And there are some who have passed the credentialing and all they do all day long is video swallow studies or maybe fees or, or stroboscopies, or they have a variety of those specialty um, patients and then some more of the more generalized patients up on the floor. Um, if I'm working in a setting with a team of that many speech pathologists, it's going to depend on where my, where I credentialed into, um, and pass those competency courses off because those bigger hospitals, they have more, um, testing and credentialing to pass you off onto some of those more challenging cases. If you are in a rural setting or an outpatient clinic, you may be the only speech pathologist. That means that everything that comes through that door is yours. So you're going to have to understand a lot of different etiologies and be able to, to handle basically what you need to do. The really complicated patients are going to be life flighted down to the bigger university centers or, or sent somewhere because they're more challenging. Um, I have worked at some kind of rural hospitals, but they're still um, part of a main hospital system coming out of the cities. And there's been, for example, there's three of us, and one of them um, is a pediatric specialist for the outpatient clinic, but she does not do any inpatient care. And I am on the other side. I do a lot of the adults, and I do a great majority of the inpatient care, and I do all the videos. And then we have a third person who does some of, she doesn't do any of the videos. She does some of the inpatient care and she does some of the pediatric. So when you have a bigger team, people are going to complement one another. And your skill set may be here and somebody else's may be here. And more of those patients will go on who is ever scheduled. It's appropriate for them to go on to. If you're talking outpatient, then the schedulers are going to know who to send the different evals that come through. I'm going to take the adult neural evals that come and the voice evals and the swallowing evals that come into our outpatient clinic. The pediatric specialist um, is going to take the little, the peeps that come to the clinic, unless there's like, I've had the babies that come for the feeding of, because I do swallowing, I'll see them. And then the um, third speech path on our team, she'll, you know, take what's appropriate for her but we, we don't really get to choose. We choose when we pass our, our competency courses. For example, you're not going to be seeing a video swallow patient if you haven't had a course on how to do a video swallow study. Same with voice. Gotcha. Thanks. Sure. Well, I think we now have our private practice questions, just a few left. Um, we just kind of wanted to know, just an overview, what would it be like working in a private practice and what does it all kind of entail, I guess, in the difference just between working in like a medical or in a hospital? Private practice is different because you're the one that is 
is making the decisions on when you start, when you stop working for the day, what type of patients you see, and how long you see them for. You're also responsible for all the marketing and getting the referrals and doing all of the billing, making sure all of your um, documentation is being supported by, um, like if you're if you have a Medicare patient, there's certain things that you have to certify. And so the bulk of that falls on you. In the medical setting, um, you show up for work, you you pick up your caseload for the day, and you see your patients and you make sure that your standards are met for charting and billing and everything else there, that everything is done by the end of the day, and then you go home. So private practice can be a lot more rewarding, it's, but it's a lot more work, in my opinion. You have contracts that... Um, you are cultivating either with a hospital or with um, home health agencies, or you're maybe you're on your own private practice and people are coming to see you. So different platform for working. But those who are uh, Jenna Castro Caspon uh, has a website called the independent clinician, and she's very successful. Lots of people doing private practice speech pathology right now. So in a private practice, what are the majority of cases that you see in um, in, in uh, private practice and how does that differ? I know you're going to see less swallowing case or you're probably not as narrow, near as many swallowing cases. Um, but what else is the difference between those? It depends on what your specialty is. If you are a pediatric um speech pathologist, and that's your private practice. Speech of Cake is uh, a very successful private practice, I think, out in California. And they see little little kiddos, and that's all that they see. Um, I'm trying to think of, there's another private practice, I don't remember her name, but all she does is fees, which is the swallowing studies. I know when I did my private practice, I saw adults in the home-based setting. And so I operated as kind of like my own um, home health, but it was private practice. So you really can can decide. The private practice is just going to, um, you're still going to have the opportunities, not as many like in the hospital setting, because you're not going to be private practice in a hospital setting. So it's all outpatient based, but it's you're still covering the the big nine if you want to see uh, fluency kiddos and that's where your passion is, or maybe it's ASD, then your private practice is all about ASD. I know there's uh, one private practice, I don't remember where they're from, but they're totally into AAC, which are the um, augmentative alternative communication devices. So the private practice speech pass that I know have taken their passion, they've stepped out of the clinical setting and they've said, I'm going to start my own practice because this is what I want to do and who I want to do it with. Sarah, I don't remember her last name, um, On Your Voice is her private practice company. And she's a voice therapist. And she had been in the skilled nursing facility. And the demands for productivity were just becoming more and more and more um, unreasonable and frustrating for her because she couldn't give the quality of time. She didn't feel the support. She didn't have the resources or the materials. And her true passion was 
wanting to have her own voice clinic. So she prepared for about uh, maybe a year, took a lot more um, specialized voice courses, and then came, I, I coached her through, and she became a private practice voice specialist. So you're going to find that your um, your private practice speech pathologists are much more focused in one, maybe two areas. Okay, thank you. Well, that was all of the questions that we had um, for you, Maddie. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You made me think. <laughs> That's always good. <laughs> I've not had an interview like this before. Normally, I normally I do the interviewing, and I feel like you guys were interviewing me. But this is perfect. I'm so glad I got the opportunity to answer these questions. Yeah, so we appreciated it a lot. You opened our eyes to a lot of questions that we had, and all the opportunities that there are in this profession. Good. Well look back and listen back to some of the previous episodes on the missing link for SLPs podcast, because you're exactly um, the type of listener that I'm creating these podcasts for, for the speech pathologists who want to learn more about our field and what we can do. So if there's a specific interest you have, um, like I interviewed Bob McKinney on foreign accent reduction, which is something um, I didn't know it really existed years ago, and I don't think it did. So there's our field is just growing. If there's anything else you want me to um, talk about or anything else like that, uh, let me know. And you guys want to come back on heading into grad school and do this again? Oh, yes. Course. That would be amazing. Absolutely. That would be fun. All right. We will. We'll keep in touch. Yes, definitely. Thank you so much. And I hope you have an amazing snow day. Yes. <laughs> yes. yes. Absolutely. You too. Have fun in the snow. Thank, Thank you. you. I hope today's conversation has created some aha moments for you and motivated you to become a better SLP continuing to connect some of those missing links between what you know and how to use that knowledge. Thank you for downloading the missing link for SLP's podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, I'd love you to subscribe, rate it, and leave a short review. Also, please share an episode with a friend. Together, we can raise awareness and help more SLPs find and connect those missing links and get the information needed to help them feel confident in their patient care every step of the way. Follow me on Instagram and join the Fresh SLP community on Facebook. Show notes are always available, so come learn more at freshslp.com. Let's make those connections. You've got this.